0: We know who our
1: enemies are who are they i don't know if we want to get into that the question personally uh,
2: uh, there's too many to name
0: are. exactly
1: most of them inside of me uh.
0: oh, that's probably a sufficient summary what's the next song
1: <laughs> that's good so well, that's it. It's an interesting question, though, because of what the opening lines imply to me anyway, is almost this like militaristic save my skin. I need a medic mm-hmm. medic who calls a who calls, you know, an EMS <laughs> person, a medic. I don't right. know. Some people probably. But that's more to me, a military thing. Yeah, yeah, totally. No, it 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 definitely has that ring to it for sure.
0: Before we get into the opening lines, mm-hmm. a, a few words should be said about how this song sits on the yeah. album and in their catalog. Uh, so this is one of two songs on A to B life that is a reworking of earlier material. So they had this EP that came out before called I never said that I was brave, which they still own. I mean, I think you can still buy like a vinyl copy of it, but it's an, it's an early attempt at kind of forging their sound. And this song gets a significant rework on this album. So it's interesting in that regard. It also, uh, it shows uh, the kinds of things that we're thinking about and progressing. And it probably implies that both this track and then the next one called I Never Said That I Was Brave may be some of the earliest material, if not the earliest two songs that were written out of everything on A to B Life. So just in the context of the record, it's fun to think about if this was the genesis point for everything else, like how did these two songs generate sort of soundscape and the idea world that ended up becoming the rest of this album.
1: That is the question. And that so situated within the album too, and Steven, you'll talk about this much more eloquently than I will, I'm sure. But so we just had this, you know, back to back in kind of this first act, if we're following our narrative, second mm-hmm. act, if we're just looking at the tracking yeah, uh, of the, uh, you know, with gentlemen into Be Still Child, and then there's this fret slide, like, yeah. just mm-hmm. bleeding right oh, into Let me play you shift. the sound. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it starts. That's, That's how it
2: starts. Kind of a surf guitar so my question- kind of deal.
3: Yeah.
0: Like that? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes,
1: yes, exactly um, like that.
0: So, that. So to me, like that, that gesture to me is just straight out of the, the surf rock lexicon. There's a lot of other ways you can make like a descending sound on a guitar. In this album, we've talked about some other sort of descending gestures that seem like a recurring mm-hmm. theme. This to me seems like the most just in your face, crude, like, okay, whatever, I'm just going to just slide my hand around and just keep hitting the same string. It, it's a really simple way to create this descending motion, but there's plenty of bands that will do like a, a pick, scratch, slide. Like you can yep. do that kind of thing. You can just slide your finger down, but do that like that fast picking yeah. Yeah. over a descending gesture seems like a surf rock thing. And I don't know about you guys. To me, like w- when I hear that, so the other clip I just played is this song Miserloo made famous by Dick Dale. Right. I think about that song when I hear the beginning of "We Know Who Our Enemies yeah. Are." <laughs> And yeah, interesting. And I, you know, not that like there's this deep abiding connection between those two, but, you know, I've made more far flung musical references so far. So I just wanted to say a word (laughs) for for implying this sort of surf rock landscape that Miserloo is is a really interesting weird piece of American pop culture because it's actually, it's like a, a Eastern Mediterranean folk song. Like it's, it, it has like Arabic roots. It's also performed in Greece mm-hmm. and it's kind of, and nobody knows exactly where the origins of it are.
1: interesting
0: uh, But it's in a non-Western scale. Um, you, you can't, right. it's not anything major or minor. And so it's just, it's, it's interesting to me. That as as very very little as the kind of multi-religious, multicultural, especially Sufi influence that comes out on this album. It's not like they break into miserloo in the middle of it. But to me, it's just it's I don't know. It's it's that's where my mind reels well, as soon as there, I stop and think about the the way they chose to open this.
2: There are some connections to punk in general. There are punk tracks that draw on non-western scales and even yeah. surf music bleeds over into some punk rock. I mean, this is yeah. just one totally. one random connection, but Dick Dale's yeah. bass player for a very long time, a guy named Sam Bowl, was the bass player for the punk band Agent Orange. In the 1980s, yeah. Orange. So that's cool. Yeah. So no I mean, idea. there's there's a lot of crossover. It's not like we're talking about genres of music that are completely, completely unrelated. There is some genetic relationship sure. for sure.
0: Taking it back one step further, just for the nerds at home who are paying attention, that particular scale that Misaloo uses is called makam hijaz. There's a bunch of different sorts of scales, but there's several that are built on that 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 kind of a uh, it's in that family that right. has that half step at the bottom that no western scales typically use. Yeah. Okay, so that's a side step, but it's just <laughs> out of the gate. There's this sound well, so,
2: totally. And 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 I think that that's a good transition into the other musical connection that this intro has that I know we've been waiting very yeah. patiently to dive into, um, which yeah. is the connection to Nirvana's Nevermind
0: again. Yep. So last, last episode, we talked about Be Still Child having this drum fill whole band sort of moment that sounds exactly like the intro to In Bloom. Now we have this drum fill, Ricky stepping up again and taking us back to Nevermind sooner than we thought possible. So there's three songs that have the same drum fill. So Dave Grohl was really feeling this surf rock, just like, get it going on the snare drum thing. Not only the same Um, fill, but
2: yeah, the the fill plus the, just the, the guitar by itself over the snare roll. Um, Yeah. Which is exactly what you have, and we know who Yeah, exactly. So the songs are Breed, which is the fourth track, Territorial Pissings, which is the seventh track, I believe, and then Stay Away, which I think is
0: the tenth track.
3: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So if if you, dear listener, have never heard Nevermind, you should go listen to it, because it's like
1: one of the... One of the most, most important, important rock records that ever yeah. made. Yes, definitely. That's similar um, to like having never heard the Rolling Stones or the Beatles. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it, it's it's up there. Yeah. yeah. So so last time when we talked about In
0: Bloom, I I tried to make this uh, ridiculous case that by referencing In Bloom. Which is in the key of B flat, our our narrator's imagination has opened up this window into the possibility of finding some sort of compromise between the A aesthetic life or the B ethical life. Mm-hmm. some sort of B flat right between the two, which I said that in the song in Bloom, in those lyrics, it shows this sort of decrepit, weird, hybrid, you know, of a relationship gone to seed that has elements of the ethical that it's committed enough that they've had multiple children, but sort of impulsive and in the moment enough that they're willing to sell those children off to to buy something to eat. Again, very few lower points in in Nirvana's sort of raw imagery than that. Although I think these other three songs and this this is not like this is not a show about never mind. But um, I think the (laughs) lyrics, whatever imagery you want to try to piecemeal out of them, All three of those tracks that have this the same drum opening are in the neighborhood of this kind of uncomfortable leaning towards a committed relationship, but also just existing in the space of raw animal impulse. Yeah. I don't know if we need to say anything more than that, but (laughs) but that whole world is being invoked right out of the gate before we even get an opening line. And it's worth just acknowledging that.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Right. And I think that, I mean, I also really... (laughs) like how the the middle of those three territorial pissings begins with, oh, I'm going to forget the name of the song now, but it's like, it's a 1960s, like,
3: like him,
2: Christian. Good, yeah, you know, Come on, people now, smile on your brother, oh, yeah. everybody.
3: Come on, people now, smile on your brother, everybody get together. Try to love one another right now. But it's yep.
2: sung in this kind of very sarcastic, um, <laughs> yeah, Nirvana's uh, yeah.
1: bass player is singing it with just this tongue-in-cheek. Come on, now. Your brother. get
3: together! Try to love one another
2: right now! And I don't yeah. know that, I mean, there's. I don't think that there's anything really to, like, dig into and, and mine there in relationship to, to Me Without You, other than I think that later on in me without you's catalog, we're going, we're going to begin to approach a point, not where they're going to be sarcastically like putting up a middle finger to Christianity, but there's going to be a much more, I think, uncomfortable relationship, you know, moving forward Mm -hmm. between the narrators in, in the records and, uh, and
0: Christianity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think to some degree, and, and I want to, touch this lightly the the dynamic on stage with this group from the beginning and we, especially between Aaron and Ricky has had this interesting tension between Aaron having this impulse towards a message that needs to be conveyed mm-hmm. especially in their earlier days and then Ricky just yes. wanted to play rock and roll and you could see that interaction between them yes and so that seems like an appropriate gesture at this point in the story too that it's like we've had this turning point moment and you know the the relationship is turning towards this sort of evangelistic direction and then and then you get these two references from mike and ricky which are like surf rock intro nirvana reference okay now what was song were we were playing and then they get on with it <laughs> <laughs>
1: So verse one, <laughs> anyone want to read it? Yeah. Well, and so I actually wanted to talk about that. So at least in the in the genius dot com notation, they yeah. call the first stanza of of lyrics, the chorus, which I find very interesting because it is the lyrical content that is repeated in the song. It's repeated in yeah. verse two slash chorus two, <laughs> uh, where Mike is singing. <laughs> these repeated lines again yep. while Aaron is yelling at us. Um, yeah. <laughs> although in this version, it's more like talking angrily. Uh, the, yeah. the yelling is much more apparent in the EP version. But yeah. anyway, I'll, I'll start. Save my skin. Save my skin. I, need a medic. I need a medic. Hold me down. Hold me down. I'm, only down. I'm only sewn down. Save my, Save my teeth. teeth. Show me, you, Show meant me you meant it. Catch my death. I'm only, sewn together. I'm only sewn together, which is an important shift. I, I I must say, like it's it's moving the narrative forward. That down to together is uh, really interesting. So I wanted to hear, y'all. Yeah,
2: I mean, y'all so thoughts I, on that? I just have one more, I guess, note to make about the style of yep. of this, which is just that you don't again. This is another song where you have this piece of the track that is, I think, completely unique in the context of the overall catalog. You do not hear at least nothing comes to mind immediately that sounds like this with Mike singing like this. I mean, you get the most of Mike singing, I think, on this record, I would venture to say, at least it feels that way, having, you know, mm-hmm. dissected all the tracks up until now. Yep. Um. But, but yeah, I mean, it, it's similar <laughs> to The Ghost, in, in a way, right, where you have this, mm-hmm. this vocal, that you really don't get anywhere else. I mean, you, so, I guess an interesting comparison is January 1979. Where you do have melodic singing, right, in the chorus— With Aaron sort of, I mean, but it it is different because Aaron is the one, well, I mean, I guess they're both, they're both kind of echoing each other call and response back and forth, but, Mm -hmm. but even that, I mean, there's a, a very marked difference between that, which is sounds very me without you. Like, if you compare the course of January 1979 to anything in the other catalog, it's so paradigmatic. Whereas this sounds like nothing else on their catalog.
1: Not only does it not sound like anything else on their catalog, this feels more like something it's not an amalgamation of the other people in the scene because what we just talked about, for example, like not many other people in post hardcore or you know Christian underground punk music were doing this surf rock nods and things like that yep. but I mean that opening verse chorus, whatever you want to call it, that feels like. You know later emo that feels like early aughts emo like my chemical romance like i i, I read the lyrics sewn down and sewn together is very like right no offense to tim burton fans because i like tim burton too but like it feels very like corpse bridey or oh, something 100 no, like that. Yeah, that, yeah yeah that's what well it looks, there was a lot like to i me. mean
2: in in this era uh late even in the late 90s mm-hmm. i mean Late 90s, early 2000s, you had, uh, you know, I mean, Saves the Day comes to mind to me. You know, you have songs where Chris Conley is talking about taking out his spleen and cutting off skin from your leg (laughs) and lungs bleeding, lots of lungs are bleeding in the <laughs> in the early aughts, <laughs> um, you know. Uh, yep. Taking Back Sunday also, their famous yes. record came out this same year that, um, that this record did. And you also have a lot of talk about body parts. I mean, yeah, My Chemical Romance and those sorts of bands kind of, you know, blew that into the mainstream, talking about exactly. sewing your teeth and, <laughs> you know, and again, Taking your lungs out of yeah. your body, lots of lungs imagery in these mm-hmm. uh, emo songs. Although, this has a kind of uh, like civil war quality to it that those others do
1: not have. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I've, I've sewn my blown off hand back onto my right. arm, See, hoping. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean to say to say catch uh. catch my death. Talking yes. about catching death, it sounds like a very nineteenth century. Thing to say 100 um, yeah, don't
1: leave is, the do- don't is, leave the door open you you'll catch your right, death yeah what one of one yeah. of the many
0: slight lyrical nods to the 19th century on this album <laughs> um, yeah. the one line that stands out to me as being an odd fit is show me you minute show me you meant what like save save my teeth like are you talking to the medic like show me you actually intended to save my life yeah, yeah.
2: I, I i have to say this this track, I str- i feel like I struggled with the most in trying to yeah. think about fit into the narrative. Yeah, like what is happening here metaphorically—it's
0: not clear at all to me, at least right no, now. No, it's not I, to me yeah. either. I've—I've <laughs> I've got plenty of thoughts about what happens in the second half of this song. Yeah, sure. The first half sure. to me seems um, <clears throat> sewn together. We'll—we'll we'll call it that. Let me just say a word about the music, although there's not. <clears throat> There's not a lot of like pitch variety here. That's the basic gesture that repeats over and over and over again. It's a D and F sharp and a C sharp. But um, if you add an A in there, so it's, it's missing the A. Makes this kind of nice, soft, jazzy chord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's nothing about the presentation of this song that sounds like it's playing a a D major 7. Like everything about it to me <laughs> feels like it's actually probably in B minor. And then this is sort of yeah, yeah. Mm. Even though we don't get that note underneath, it feels like it's wanting to to tend down that direction. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it confirms that later. It does go down um okay. In the interlude into B minor, but we don't get that payoff for a long time. So it's kind of ambiguous. If you play that yeah. on the
1: keyboard, Mm -hmm. Do we get a similar gesture
0: in a previous song? Yep. In A, that's the basic tonal language. It's a lot of that kind of... Okay. Mm -hmm. So in in A, I talked about this as being kind of this potentiality. It's the sort of, it could go, it could resolve down from that... That's right, yep. Into an A major or, or down to a B minor... So it's got that same flavor to it. The one other place that we get that same three note group that isn't quite a, a triad is actually at the very first track, Bullet to Binary. Mm-hmm. So you get an F on the bottom with an A and an E. So here's, here's my, my far flung, uh, <laughs> you know, take it or leave it thing to say about that in this song we get this gesture which pulls us down to b minor if we're talking like a and gentlemen are the start of this narrative this is actually the first b minor that we get on the record so Mm. there's something significant if that's where this thing is going to end at the end of everything was beautiful and nothing hurt this interlude that comes after this first set of lyrics is the first place that b minor lands Ah. interesting significant perhaps By implication, if we start the story with A and gentlemen and move onward, the next time we get this kind of gesture really strongly, which is in bullet to binary in a different key, that sound, Mm -hmm. if you transpose that same gesture, the place that that sound is tending down towards is a D minor, which is the key that I argued last time is associated with Don Giovanni. And going to (laughs) the furthest remove Mm -hmm. of the aesthetic life and eventually being dragged down to hell as people sing over your torture. Um, (laughs) So I'm sure they were thinking of all that. I just wanted to let you all know that's what was going on here.
1: No, no, it's great because it it just <laughs> ties all of the musical narrative together really well. It, it, it does lyrically, though. Yeah, I'm still. Let's just dead. read it. Let's just read the
0: whole the next section uh, up through the the end of the repeat of these words. to yeah, I would. Read this? I would
1: vote not reading the repeated words again. Well, you can't. I can go whisper
0: ahead. them. I can whisper Mike's part while well, one of you reads Aaron's part here.
2: Yeah, Joel, you take it. Go ahead.
0: Okay. Sure. It's get real creepy uh, real fast. He's
2: beyond the shadow of your doubt and mine. Save my skin. He's no man's opinion. God. He is truth divine. Hold me down. Slowly sound uh, down. <laughs> come and save me now. Come and shake my ground.
0: Save my teeth.
2: While I catch, catch my breath, come and catch your death.
0: Catch my death. <laughs> I'm only sound <selling> together. <laughs> <laughs> that folks oh. is called counterpoint. Um,
2: yeah, uh, that's an interesting pair um, at the end, right? While I catch my breath head. come and catch your death. It is. Catch yeah. my death I'm only sound together, oh, which man, makes me sure wonder sure. yeah. if uh, you know who is who is speaking which lines if we are assuming that these are the characters that we've been working with so far or is it the same is it the narrator or
1: If we follow what we were talking about in The Ghost, the higher inflection lyrics we we tend to associate with the the feminine voice in this record. Sure. So
0: I, I think you can do a fair reading if you if you assume that Mike's part here is the feminine voice in the record. Actually, the line save my skin makes a lot of sense coming after Be Still Child. Mm. as opposed to something like save my soul, right? It's like, okay, like save something that actually exists and matters. Um, Mm. Mm. And so if that's the call out here is like this very physical, natural, materialistic request for salvation, right? And it's literally the first word is save here. Then it creates this interesting dichotomy where we'll call it she says these lines and then she says them again and his response while she's saying them is he's beyond the shadow of your doubt and mind. He's no man's opinion. He is truth divine. Come and save me now. Come and shake my ground while I catch my breath. Come and catch your death. So he's continuing this message. For spiritual salvation, while she's calling out for physical yep. salvation, that makes
2: wow, yes. That, that makes <laughs> now of all sense. of a sudden everything <laughs> is like snapped into focus for me. I feel like yep. that. Yes, that makes sense totally.
0: talk about the uh, the musical interlude that comes after this mm-hmm. this opening section though yes uh, because this is the the point at which there's the most interesting divergence between the ep recording and the lp recording of this i'm yes. just going to play the ep breakdown just for a second and it is a, it is a breakdown in in the true like hardcore sense so here we go <laughs>
1: OK, uh,
0: nothing I, I even remotely that like that appears on this album <laughs> or in this no. song.
1: And uh, real quick, let's do you want to read the I can read the lyrics for. Oh, if you got the, the, hit the, it, yeah, yeah, I do. So as Aaron sings in that breakdown last time, I'll be here beside you. Despite all that I've said, there's meaningless, meaningless things to do. A life to live instead. And every day seems to me but her all the time. Until I turn to Jesus, my love, my peace, I find. And then you go back into Mike saying, "Save yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That seems of a piece with the stuff that he ends up singing. Yeah. You know, in Counterpoint with Mike here, D- different lyrics for sure. I mean, I, I, I just
1: love it. I, my- <laughs> I love the breakdown. Oh, look, yeah. Don't get me wrong. I love a good <laughs> breakdown. I, I was a uh, wannabe hardcore kid in high school. Sure. But I, that felt like posturing a little bit. The, 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 breakdown felt like we are supposed to have a breakdown. It's yeah. 2001. We're in a post hardcore or a hardcore band in a hardcore yep. scene. Like we're supposed to have this. Let's do it. Yeah. And then they went in this other direction. This like, screw that. Let's do what we want to do as songwriters.
0: Yeah. If you just want to, to imagine for a moment, the Jay Robbins mm-hmm. produced catch for us, the Foxes instead of moving over and having Brad Wood produce it. This is exactly what that record would have sounded like.
1: I, I don't know if we know this, I don't have the liner notes with me, was that Chris playing the reverb guitar? And or is that Mike, if you had to guess?
0: I think Mike plays more of the like out and out solos where it's like, yes, here's a moment where like the guitar is the featured thing. But the textural stuff throughout the songs, I think the other guitar player has is more often played that part of it. So that texture comes in and obviously it's this this shining moment of musical clarity that's unlike anything else in this album, but definitely. It it forecasts the direction they're going the next album from a, from a, just a theoretical standpoint, this is where they confirm the key of B minor. That's been sort of potential, but not realized. So it's B, D, G, F. That's the, that's the chord pattern underneath this. And it, it, it creates this loop that, that lands on B minor. So, it's interesting in their career as a musical moment, but also in the in the course of the narrative of this album, this is truly the first place we get B minor entering the scene. So there's something that's sort of drawing them forward musically and narratively about this instrumental interlude that I think is really, really cool. ¶¶
1: Musically and lyrically, the shift lyrically and the shift musically, Mm -hmm. to me, is just such a beautiful reworking of the song to fit into the narrative, whereas it was just a hardcore Christian song previously. I mean, like the direct reference to Jesus, like uh, all of that in in the EP version, and they just shift it into this narrative structure so interestingly, and I, I know where... Not assuming that they were thinking that deeply about the chord progressions of things, but holy cow! But they like, had they <laughs> had to be aware
0: uh, on some level, consciously or subconsciously, because this is a totally different piece of music than the EP yep. recording, and where the song goes is totally different. Now yep. Aaron's vocal part is is almost identical. What the rest yep. of the band does is is completely different. They they had to decide to do that too. So in the EP version of this song this same gesture with the D, F sharp, and C sharp just comes back. And they just keep riffing on that while he sings the lyrics at the end. Mm -hmm. In the LP version, there's just a a total non-sequitur shift. And so this B minor comes in the scene. After we have this sort of open-ended, not sure where it's going, sound. It Could go to B, could go to A. B minor comes in. The answer to that is not to confirm that or to go back to where it was, but just to hit this random B flat. It's not set up, but it's like, oh, but have you thought of this? Like this, I have a better idea than than going to B minor. Let's go to this B flat. So that comes in. Other guitar comes in on a fifth above that and then compresses it to a tritone. So this gesture that we've had in the last two songs of and then later now we get in reverse, building it on this sort of in between note that can't really resolve. So now we're like introducing more dissonance and tension into it built on a B flat. And
1: so let's track that for a second here. So if, we'll leave the liminal space of a, whether that's yep. the beginning, the end or both. I, yep. I think it is both. Yeah. Um, starting with gentlemen, moving into this. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, that is so cool. Like yep. I, I don't have anything else to say other than that is yeah. incredible. So they, they were paying attention to that. I don't want to say they just like randomly happened upon this stuff. I'm just mm-hmm. also not say they're not, Sitting there and saying, "Well, in in musical history, this inflection and this descending oh, sure. tone uh, implies this." You know, they're not pulling a Mozart here.
0: Yeah, but uh, but it does it does call even if you don't make reference to anything external to the album. This is a gesture that comes right out of the playbook of the last two tracks, but it's just done in yeah. reverse. So rather than going from dissonance out to a kind of incomplete consonance, it it creates this odd note and just gives this sort of uneasy feeling. And then it is just going to hang out there the rest of the song. So for the rest of the, the track, we just get this repeated pattern of B flat, E flat, G flat, A flat, B flat again. And it's a loop. So. I've got one more thing to say about the music at the end, but we need to talk about these lyrics. So let's talk about what's going on lyrically on top of that chord loop.
1: eyelids are heavy, and the night's wearing on. Your story's familiar, and your innocence is gone. We burn like the morning, and break like your heart. Fall in love without warning, just to fall back apart. All fevered and blistered, with nothing at stake. I feel the warmth of her whisper, and the cold of my mistakes. Her soul on the balance, my heart in her hands. I made her a widow, she made me a man. No, no,
0: no. Yeah, I just want to say on a, on a personal note, this moment is one of the things that made me immediately interested in this band. I, again, I bought this record blind off the shelf of a Christian bookstore, had no idea what it sounded like. And I'd been to some hardcore shows and I had friends that, that went to them. And like, I thought those people were cooler than me. And I like, I wanted to be part of that scene. Yeah. But it really didn't fit my temperament at all. Like, I, I think I got. That's it. I stepped into the middle of a, of a mosh pit in like a fully lit church gym one time and got a couple elbows to the ribs. And was like, you know what? I'm way happier over on the corner standing by myself. <laughs> I was trying so hard to, to, to feel like I belonged in this scene. And I, and I really didn't, but man, I was a kid who was, was pretty into poetry. Like I wrote poems for fun. And I had teachers who thought I was such a nice boy for writing these poems in class. And like, <laughs> as soon as I hear him get into this cadence, I'm like, Oh yeah, this is it. I, I belong here.
1: I know. I wish I, I wish I had the uh, professional understanding of, of poetry to be able to figure out what meter this is in, because it's, this is actual poetry that we have written here. Pretty much every song previously the poetic moments are him just using someone else's idea and twisting it a little bit. I love all of the lyrics on this album, but this is one of the like this is really showing us his his prowess as as a lyrical artist yeah. in an incredible way. To back up to my how I was discussing how I used to listen to this album and not pay attention to what song was playing. So how I always felt like, even though there's a sharp left turn, I always thought "Gentleman" and be still child were, if not the same song, like they were definitely connected. Yeah. That's in part because of what happens in this song where it is all one song. Like there is this left turn both musically and lyrically. Like Oh, it's just so incredible. It like that that creates this suite of songs feeling like that yeah. we're that we're being jostled around in a sea, if you will. The other, and this is just kind of a joke, but uh I mean, heck, this is like the singer being criticized by his own song that we get in, I think that's in Catch for Us the Foxes, uh, that line. Um, that we kind of get a little bit of that, like her soul in the balance, my heart in her hands, like there's a little bit of Almost self awareness, like I made her a widow, she made me a man. There, there's a an awareness of the toxicity that we've been pointing out throughout the the rest of the album. That's yeah. uh, very exciting.
0: Yeah, I think it's I think it's a moment of clarity for for the narrator um, yeah. to realize what direction this is going, and that maybe you know back up to the opening line of "Be still, child." I said my goodbyes yeah. to the sun, my little one, so far away. It's like he realizes that. You know, if what he intended out of this relationship was to see her c- c- come to faith in Christ, that the sheer physicality of where this relationship has gone has now possibly completely nullified the, the you know that end that he was working towards. And this is the, where we see that. And I don't know, but there's something about the clear eyed nature of the thought that also seems appropriate to be expressed in this really clear yes. metered poetry as well. What about the content, though? I mean line by line what what do you all see what do you think stands out as being significant
2: yeah well so the first the first line strikes me as a very male kind of response to relationship talks mm-hmm. and maybe that's not what this is but my eyelids are heavy and the nights wearing on always makes me think she wants to talk yeah. about this but he's sort of like no, it's, you know, it's done, uh, you know, I, I mean, I think he's he obviously through, throughout the rest of the lines, he's conflicted, but it's it conveys this sense of there's nothing more to discuss here, right? Your story's familiar, your innocence is gone. Oh, no, right? I mean. We burn, we burn too hot. And now, it, you know, it, I mean, just like you said, Stephen, a line has been crossed. Yeah. it can't be walked back. There's this conflict between his desire. I mean, the the second to last line, her soul in the balance, my heart in her hands. Yeah. Right. This idea that what he wants for her is is the very thing that is going to
1: end the relationship, essentially. Yep. Right. For either of them to get what they want they will have to be it's a true paradox really in in terms of the relationship yes. for him to get what he wants she will be unhappy and therefore therefore he will also be unhappy i think he's realizing that a, a little bit in this we also get i feel the warmth of her whisper and the cold of my mistakes that's almost a call back to the you know feeling the breath on the back of your neck oh yeah you know, being in the mm-hmm. tier, all of that stuff, but the tone of it, both how he enunciates it and where it sits in this verse again, there's a clarity to it. There isn't this, that isn't quite as stalkerish to me for whatever reason. Maybe it's no. because he's feeling the warmth <clears throat> of her whisper and the cold exactly. of his mis- that cold of his cold of my mistakes. Like he realizes he messed up as well. Yeah. Like there is a true clarity here of this is untenable. We cannot continue this. You know, and this is an interesting moment.
0: This is maybe the earliest chance we get to see something that Aaron is going to do throughout their career, which is to rework lines he wrote earlier to be more self-aware and more self-critical. And most of that would happen live, you know, and anyone who's seen this band live, one of Mm -hmm. the, the real delights of seeing them is like, okay, what lines are going to get changed in this show today? Cause it always seems pointed. And this is one where I think in the EP version, it's very, very subtle, but I think he says, uh, I feel the warmth of a whisper and the cold of mistakes. I don't think my is in there.
2: Well, and, and I was going to say the, the reversal of the breath, right? Yeah. That, so that line happens in bullet to binary, where he says, you know when you when you laugh, you'll feel my breath there filling up your lungs, I feel like there's another yeah there uh, is I no think no, it's no. An, he does in in the ghost he says, yeah. "I feel the breath from her nose on my neck as it blows yeah right so so there's a few different things yeah, going on there with breath in the ghost though he uh, says, kind of going her, back and forth the, yeah, but the
0: warmth passes. What was it? Her warmth passes me Mm -hmm. like her love did.
1: The warmth passes me like her love did. Yeah. So,
0: so if we're thinking of the ghost is coming later, chronologically, right? right. Here we have the instance of the warmth of her whisper. And then later on, her love has already passed like the warmth did. Like that seems of a piece to me. There's a nice, you can really see kind of one of
2: the things that we said in that in the first episode on bullets binary Mm -hmm. sort of paying off Mm -hmm. here, which is that we theorized that, okay, if this is the sort of the beginning of the third act of this, we see a lot of anger and frustration, you know, misogyny being kind of played out. And we, we kind of talked about in that third act about the sort of back and forth that the narrator is experiencing. And I think I, I really feel like seeing this uh, narration of the breakup, essentially. Yep. Also just, I mean, it's another piece of that, the narrator moving back and forth, because when you juxtapose this with Bullet to Binary and then the ghost, right, you you really see that. And I think that we're going to see even more of that back and forth, that wrestling coming out, uh, particularly uh, in these last three lyrical tracks.
0: So the thing that stands out to me, again, in the big structure about all these lines is in relation, again, to Bullet to Binary, like you were just talking, that these are mm-hmm. all these interesting binary couplets and, you know, I've tried to point this yes. out other places, but, um, you get it really, really strongly here where you have this something and then that something's opposite, you know, laid back, yep. especially a line like you know, fall in love with that warning just to fall back apart. Like that's, it mm-hmm. that just sounds good, but it also is, you know, is the complete, it's, it's a joining and, a, and an unjoining It you know, is back and it forth. Is. And so it, it begs the question then when you get to bullet to binary in the narrative sequence later, why is it that the the binaries are having to you know be shot this is like this this experience is is maybe what he's wanting to destroy
1: oh wow i i like that a lot the the moment of the most clear binaries we get eight lines Mm -hmm. of couplets yeah so that's a that's a lot of binaries and you know as they notate it in the in the liner notes it's just continuous text but that's fine yeah. And
2: I just I just want to add one more thing that and this is something that we can kind of put, you know, under our cap for later but just in terms of thinking about tracking some of the developments across seasons. Yeah. Um you know, they're as lovely as the cadence of this is and as beautiful as the language is. You don't have uh, the same kinds of uh, what we called in the um, everything is beautiful nothing hurt episode a metaphysical conceit mm-hmm. right which is a certain kind of poetic metaphor that compares two things that are utterly unlike yeah right it may it essentially is the making of a new metaphor right you don't really have that. Here, Right. We'd burn like the morning. We'd break like your heart. I mean, those are similes, but they're not really as far as metaphors go. They're not. It's not a metaphysical conceit. Right. Exactly. When we get to the beginning of catch for us, the foxes, especially (laughs) uh, torches together. That Why entire pluck song... Why pluck yes, one string? <laughs> the, the entire lyrical content of Torches Together is just one big set of metaphysical conceit yeah. after metaphysical yeah. conceit after... So I mentioned in an earlier episode, right, that you begin to sort of see Aaron developing that skill yeah. as a songwriter. Yeah. The yeah. ability to create metaphysical conceit. And man, when we get to catch First the Foxes, it just... It explodes and he does not let up. I mean, the rest of the catalog is just chock full of those kinds of metaphors. And it's just going to be really exciting and fun to get there. But I just want to, I just want to note that, right. That there is a, um, you know, as, as great as this is, as, as much as I love this, right. This is a different kind of poetic writing and poetic skill from what, he yep. develops yep. later on
0: well totally I, and i think i think it's worth noting again if you think about everything was beautiful and nothing hurt as as the mm-hmm. end of this there's this interesting bridge that this john Donne quotation from this poet mm-hmm. that was famed for for metaphysical conceit is the last thing we hear mm-hmm. in the narrative structure before we jump into torches together right yes
1: yes <laughs> exactly i i think i think that right there even if the narrative aspect of it didn't play perfectly which yeah. i think it's playing pretty well you know that we're in the end of act one right now that right there is exactly why i think Stephen, your theory about the shuffling of the acts of this yeah. fits so perfectly and it's not like they're they're not coed in cambria you know they're not there's not, right, a, no. there's not a there's not a through line of narrative, although between this and Catch for Us, the foxes, there are several songs on Catch for Us, the foxes that continue the narrative thread of processing yep. a bad breakup. Yeah, that's that's totally true. But Well,
2: I mean, you you de- and you definitely I mean, Torches Together begins with the same sorts of ideas from Rumi yep. that you have in Bullet to Binary, right, where you have this i you know this idea of things that belong together that naturally go together right that, well you know, and that, you have a line that here that are
0: not like here I mean, right in the middle of this we we'd burn like the morning then break like your heart all fevered and blistered with nothing at stake like these are these very like physical images of like of burning in mm-hmm. a way that if you contrast that with why burn poor and lonely like it's it's a very <sighs> different kind of burning we're talking about Yeah, um
2: it's a, yes it's a different kind of burning and it's a it's a metaphor that's in service of something that is uh that is different yeah. it's not the same like this kind of burning again is uh you know it's a burning love mm-hmm. it's it's a metaphor that is uh that is well trodden insert elvis clip here Burn. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it's a well, I mean, going, obviously, you know, Elvis did not invent that. He came no. up, he got that from other places. Um, exactly. But yeah, no, it's, I mean, just like saying love is a rose, right? Love mm-hmm. burns, yeah. love. I mean, those are well-trodden. That's not what metaphysical conceit is, yeah. right? Whereas um, the the use of the metaphor of the torches burning together, right mm-hmm. is uh i think importantly different I, yes we don't oh, we don't for need sure. to get into that for now sure. but yeah no it's it's going to be really interesting uh i think that we should definitely uh maybe come back to this part of this yeah. song oh totally when we get there yeah. and compare <clears throat> the the uses of metaphor
1: now what's happening though this is just more typical poetry you know to to Stephen, to go back mm. to your point of, mm-hmm. of writing nice little poems mm-hmm. that your teachers think is sweet of you yep. to do. Like, that's what this is. It's, <laughs> yep. it's a, a pretty well-written, on-the-nose, What it, the metaphor being used is what's on the tin. Like, yep. we all get that without mm-hmm. even having any, like, if you've never read a sonnet in your life, you still get what this metaphor mm-hmm. is saying, and you've probably felt oh, it. Oh, for sure. Yep. And, yeah, I mean, just wanting to point out like the juxtaposition even between lines of things like burning and cold, uh, mm-hmm. warmth. You know, if, if that's that is so cool, so well done. Now, one Yes, thing, that
2: definitely takes some
1: skill for sure. Definitely, definitely. It's not to yeah. say that this is poorly done, or it's no. just that Aaron finds his voice when he goes into the metaphysical conceit direction. I did yes. want to point out another lyrical difference. On the EP version, the only line that it points out as being different is the all fevered and blistered. The EP version, the second part of that line is the whole world at stake. That's a mm. pretty big that's a pretty big shift, yeah. uh uh lyrically. In fact, it's it's quite the opposite. Yeah. So what does that mean, you know, having not talked about that yet until now, what does that yep. mean in terms of Aaron's processing an actual bad breakup? And that he changed that even there. Like, we've talked about that lyrically. We've talked about that musically mm-hmm. for the shift of, of the direction of this band with nothing at stake. What does that say to us about the, the trajectory of the band and, and the lyrics of Aaron? I mean, I think
0: I on some level I could, you could make an argument that that encapsulates like a trajectory that we can track over the course of their whole career. This is just a, it, the earliest possible instance of it. Yeah. And it, it does, it's, you know, the line that ended up on the LP version here is one further step of reflection removed from yes. being in that moment of evangelical fervor and feeling the stakes are are as high as the entire cosmos is resting on you and the way that you handle this relationship,
1: which even more plays into the, this is a reflection back on this period. So yeah. this is act one of the narrative, but it's chronologically after act three because he's reflecting sure. on the act one and act two periods of that relationship. Yeah. So I, I think that's, no, that's got on and is another artfully done Changing of an already existing song to fit into a narrative structure. That's so cool. I mean, I'm just thinking about how, I don't know when Aaron was born, but you know, he's probably in his early twenties writing this, this breakup probably happened in his very, very early twenties, if not late teens. Yeah. I mean, holy crap, you think a breakup is yeah. the end of your world. I, I remember being in eighth grade being broken up with my first serious girlfriend, and I didn't get off the couch for two weeks. Yep. That felt like the whole world sure, sure was at, at sure. stake. And now here I am. That didn't matter. That really didn't matter. It mattered to my emotions at the time. And so so there is the evangelical side of it, but that's also an insertion of like the, the mental health direction that mm-hmm. Aaron takes some of this stuff. Yep. The the self-reflection upon How I am interpreting this thing, whatever it is, as a human. And even to tie it back to the Dunn stuff, you know, there are some parts of Dunn's poetry that feel very much like they are essentializing, like, oh, this love that we're feeling. But it's not. It's just part of the metaphysical conceit device. Like, I'm just using this as a metaphor to talk about what this love feels like, rather than it actually being... A global event, yeah. if you will. Well, I want to. I want to bring this to a point
0: at, on the last line because, yeah. as straightforward as the rest of this is, you're, you all already said you think I, I made her a widow. She made me a man. Is like is like one of like the, the strongest lines in this album. Yeah, and and it's also one of the strangest ones. The sequence of how those lines fall is weird. Um, and I'm curious what you think of it.
1: Well, uh, I'll jump in because I brought up the mental health side of things. So for a a long time, without thinking of this as a true full narrative album, that always just sounded like a person who killed themselves in the afterlife talking about this thing. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm dead now. I made her a widow. I made this person who was at least spiritually my wife a a, a widow. So the obvious reading is... I'm dead. I did that, so I made her a widow. And then the uh, continuing the obvious reading, she made me a man. We, uh, at least emotionally, but potentially sexually, uh, I became a man. "Quote unquote." Oh yeah. I don't love that reading. I don't, especially now that I have this more context of the. uh, But that's just the obvious one to me. That that makes
0: sense to me, Joel. I'm curious what you think, but my gears are turning. Uh, Yeah. So
2: in the context of of the record and, and sort of, you know, one of the things that the narrator seems to be grasping, you know, grappling with, uh, in, in processing the breakup is whether or not he, he's sort of mature enough almost to handle it. I don't know if we've, if we've put it exactly that way, but certainly when we talked about the ghost, right, there's this father figure voice, mm-hmm. right. Um, uh, you're you know calling him boy and saying that you're far too frail to fight and maybe at this point you know we're reaching sort of the end of the first act right
1: yeah i don't know where exactly i mean i guess there's one more song in this act but this is the beginning of the end of the act yep
2: yeah yeah so
0: um well but that yeah so we yeah go ahead if you're if you're taking this moment, which, which I love to, to be a a kind of an answer to him being called boy earlier, that somehow if that, if that desire to, to become a man because of being called boy earlier is being satisfied in this moment, I, I, I don't, I don't have enough like literary theory in my head to put a name on this, but I feel like this is a trope in all sorts of stories where somebody gets exactly what they thought they wanted, but they end up losing something way more precious in the process.
1: Well, the Midas touch comes to mind. Yeah. Mythological perspective. Yeah.
0: And so this couplet seems to do that, that even before we get Mm -hmm. the affirmation, she made me a man already, we've heard the downside of it, which is I made her widow, made her widow. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. I, I guess the, that's the you know I think that 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 reading works right that the uh, this idea of sort of the fulfillment of being grown up but I also think it's possible that he's he's actually mistaken right especially because yeah um, I mean we're you know'm I'm, I'm talking about this as some response to the ghost but in our theory it would be the opposite mm mm-hmm. Right. Oh, because yeah. the, in the narrative, the ghost comes after right. this moment. Yep. True. Um, hmm. And so there's this I mean, I, I know I talked. Uh, it might have been in that same episode. I might have been nice and blue. I can't remember. But earlier on in the season, I mentioned this idea of kind of like uh, weak confidence Right, or false confidence on the part of 18 and 19 year olds. Yeah. yeah. Right. That Mm -hmm. there's this idea of like, I have it figured out. Right. And so maybe in processing um this you know, in in reaching this point of the process um of of I mean, yeah, that that he thinks that he's been made a man by this. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, the, the, you know, in what way she's been made a widow, I, I don't know well, in
0: relation <clears> to this reading, but. Well, and, and it's good to remember also the way that these lines are delivered. <clears throat> it's not, it's not just a straightforward, I made her a widow. She made me a man. It's, she made me a man. It kind of stretches out and then, oh, yeah. no, oh, oh no, no, oh no, no, no. He's he, just like freaks no. out. No. Yeah. He's, he's, yeah. <laughs> he can't believe it. So, so in this, um multiple layers of of time scale that we've talked about where maybe let's say the first four tracks are playing out in supposed real time and then after that point you're getting this playback memory of him starting at the beginning and coming right. to a certain point it's almost like we get this break between seeing the scene of she made me a man and then the person watching the scene responding to that with these oh no's that come right afterwards Ooh,
1: i like that i really <laughs> yeah. do. You know, the other thing, Joel, was something you were saying just a moment ago, each act has almost its its mini arc of, of, I think I figured something out, and then a descent back into like, oh no, I don't have anything figured out. So mm-hmm. I, I think that really works here with the descent in no, no, no. And Steven, earlier you were bringing up the, uh, the inverted um, gesture of descending into a tritone rather than ascending into it. Yeah. no going back like this this relationship is untenable like we have we have to move on from it somehow okay with that realization that is where the personal growth can start yeah and he's going to fall back into the pit of of despair as we know but i i think we talked about this early on probably in the ghost but the whole intellectually understanding the learning you're supposed to get from a, a a a significant personal event, but not embracing it emotionally and spiritually. Like I get it. I get that. That's the learning, but I just can't embrace it. You know, someone could point out a, a character flaw in you and it's like, I see that I see yeah. when I do it, but you can't stop the character flaw until yeah. you start doing the, the deeper work. Yeah. Well, I, I
0: think I like both of your readings of this last line. I think I would meet you in the middle. With I made cool. her a widow, okay. she made me a man. Thinking about it now, even just structurally, this whole this whole set of these eight couplets here, in the in the first half, the first four lines, we have a, a a conjoining word in the middle, and so my eyelids are heavy, and the night's wearing on, your story's familiar, and your innocence is gone. We burn like the morning, then break like your heart, and the last line yep. just flows. Fall in love with that warning just to fall back apart. Like that's so we get this like increasing the tempo of it at the end of the first half. Okay, now the second half, all fevered and blistered with nothing at stake. I feel the warmth of her whisper and the cold of my mistakes. And then we get two lines that just keep it flowing. Her soul in the balance, my heart in her hands. I made her a widow. She made me a man. There's something about like speeding up the rhythm, even though it's literally the same cadence without having those conjoining words that makes it feel like these things are simultaneous. So if in the same act, in the same moment, she became a widow and he became a man the way I think I see that. I don't know if I would take it all the way out to actual okay. death, but if, if we're thinking th- this A and B dichotomy between the mm. aesthetic life and the ethical life. In, in Kierkegaard, the ethical life is really centered on marriage, about sort of setting aside your physical impulses to commit to a relationship long-term. So widow is a relationship that only exists after marriage. There can be no widowing without marriage first. She Made Me a Man feels very straightforwardly just this masculine, like, sort of sexual conquest type of line. Even if you want to put that in the light of I'm still technically a virgin after 27 years, however you want to read this, in that same moment, for the first half of this line is speaking to to the ethical side of it, and the second half is speaking to the aesthetic. So She Made Me a Man is very much this Mm -hmm. aesthetic, like, oh, I got what I wanted out of this. But the cost of that was that spiritually... If he was hoping to marry her, that he's now spiritually dead because of of this physical encounter. And so the very thing that made him a man also made him a, a dead man. And then now she's a widow because there's no spiritual life in him anymore. So the song could just be over there. But they just keep riffing on this loop and for one, it's just worth pointing out. It's a weird way to end a song. There's plenty of songs in the history of recorded music that have had fade outs. There's only two that I know of that fade back in. It's this one and Helter Skelter on the White Album by the Beatles. Okay. And I kept trying to try to make a connection there because I feel like the band or Jay Robbins or somebody I had to be thinking about Helter Skelter to like even bother to do this weird ending to this song.
1: Now, I will briefly open the can of worms just to say <laughs> the song Helter Skelter is about a, a slide called a Helter Skelter, yeah. but it is also metaphorically about like falling into chaos, yeah. you could say. The end of this song, just like many of the other ones, mm-hmm. has that whirling dervish feel, yeah. both musically, yep. I mean, with, with the repeated Absolutely. riff over and over again, but also the no, no, no. Mm-hmm. So, in a sense, it's just, you know, I'm going helter, helter, skelter. Yeah. Like, I, I get that. That to me is a pretty easy one to one. So, yeah, I don't know if that's actually what they're implying, sure. but Steven, I've been racking my brain since you said it, and I too cannot think of another fade out, fade back yeah. in.
0: So, With with all that in mind, because there is at least one other really significantly similar musical gesture on this album that we've heard already, which is the ending of Everything Was Beautiful and Nothing Hurt, different chord progression in B minor, whereas this one is in B flat and it's actually not major or minor. It's got this weird flat six, flat seven thing, um, thing but they're playing power chords. There's not the fact they're playing power chords. They're not major and minor chords. Also, there's no leading tone, like in, in B-flat major. That's how you'd land, but this is. There's all sorts of things that make this like less conclusive sounding, but the sheer fact that it's in B-flat and he gets into this repeated loop. Here's my theory about the ending of this, why it fades out and fades back in, is that it's like the narrator, the character of the song, feels like this is the end. Like upon realizing this sort of, unresolvable conflict of what he intended out of this relationship and what it's become. It's like, it's all over, right? I made her a widow. He's dead. No, no, no. He's done with this. He's ready to play this thing out. Just let the music play. I'm going to walk off the stage. This relationship is over. And he's resolved it in B flat, somewhere halfway between the aesthetic and the ethical. Same thing is going on in this last line of the lyrics. And the music itself refuses to let him stop there because it's in b-flat because the title of this album is a to b life not a slash b life or a plus b life or whatever it's a to b life he's got to go from a he's got to get to b b flat is not good enough it can't stop and so even though like he gives all he's got leaves it on the table walks away the band keeps playing they get faded out and then some force somewhere behind the scenes says no this can't end on a loop in B flat you got to keep taking this all the way till you get to B and so it comes back in and, and we can't say goodbye yet